please take a seat. We're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2, and then Dan is going to come and preach to us. 1 Peter um, chapter 2. As you're, you're finding that, um, can I just welcome you if you're new here this evening? Uh, what, we, what we tend to do uh, in the evening service is we have a, 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 a shorter sermon, about 20 minutes long, and then what we do in, on our tables, um, we, we have some questions there, there in front of you um, on that piece of paper, and, and we, we, we chat through those um, together. So it's slightly different to a normal church service in that after the sermon, there's a little bit of a discussion um, about the topics, um, and there are questions on the table that we will discuss later on. Also, there's nibbles in front of you. Um, that's not a, a new twist on communion. That is just for um, that is just for for for, for nibbles for us to uh, to, to nibble at whilst uh, we're chatting, whilst we're hearing Dan preach. Um, but let's read this together. Um, One Peter chapter two, verse four to eight, and it says this: As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Let me pray as Dan comes to preach. Father God, we thank you for your word. May you bless us now as we hear it explained. May you challenge our hearts. May you challenge our sinfulness. May you, may you, may you just give us a vision of Jesus, the precious cornerstone. May we come to him this evening together around his word and listen to his voice. Bless us now, Lord God, as we, as we read and, and study this passage together. In your name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we were discussing in the office our visits to the Keswick Pencil Factory, naturally one of the highlights of going to the Lake District. And Phil and I, mostly Phil, uh, were talking about our fascinating visit to the home of the world's first ever pencil. I know, didn't know that, did you? And I don't quite understand how, But we became so excited about reminiscing about our visit to this little pencil place in the northwest that we somehow made it out to be one of the greatest places on planet Earth. And as Phil and I were talking about this pencil factory, well, James couldn't believe that he hadn't visited this pencil place in Keswick. And he said, I just feel like I've missed out. Don't think he, I don't think he meant it, but uh, he said, I just feel like I've missed out. And you know, the point in all of this is that by looking at what others are experiencing, 
by seeing the apparent joy and the happiness it was bringing, it created a sense on missing out on something. And you know, as Christians, there is a sense in which in life, we can think that we miss out all the time too. We might think as Christians, we miss out on being able to be casual and and free to do whatever we want in relationships with other people. We miss out on getting involved on the drink, in the drinking culture with our friends at parties that just goes way too far. And therefore, we miss out on the shared experiences that are talked about at the next day at college. We miss out on a huge chunk of money that we could spend ourselves. We miss out on having our Sundays off. We miss out on having our evenings during the week off. It's tempting to believe that as Christians we miss out all the time. And therefore, we end up regretting choosing to follow Jesus rather than cherishing being in a relationship with him. And you know, Peter tonight shows us that in fact, Christians don't miss out on anything, but rather trust in something that is at the heart of everything in this universe. Something that is never going to put them to shame. And that is what we're going to be exploring this evening together. And our passage has two sections to it. The first is the ultimate insider. The ultimate insider. And that's from verses 4 to 5. You see, last week we heard from Phil in the passage before, how the people that Peter was writing to had obeyed the truth. These people, they've heard the message about Jesus, they've believed it, they've accepted it. And now Peter, in this section that actually we're going to be looking at over these next three weeks, tells them what their identity as the church is and how they're to live that out. And we see in verses 4 and 5 that Peter speaks about followers of Jesus in terms of a building. And not just any building, but it's the temple. Uh, look, look down at verses 4 and 5. Do we see the temple language being used here? Verse 5. Look with me. It says, you're also like living stones. A spiritual house. A holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices. Peter, he's taking all of the imagery, all of this imagery around the temple and saying, Christians, the people who follow Christ are the new temple of God. Not physically, but spiritually. You see, the temple is the place in the Old Testament where God chose to dwell amongst his people. And not in the whole temple, but it was in the Holy of Holies where One man, the high priest, could enter this place on one day of the year. And Peter says that the church, people like you and me, that follow Jesus, are now the place of God's presence as the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And more than that, but Peter says we're a holy priesthood. We're God's priests in this world. And notice that there's no small print under it, you know, like those PPI adverts, which say this is only for full-time church workers or this is only for elders. No, we're all holy, we're all in the holy priesthood. 
It's not some on the pitch and then others in the stands watching. No, we're all part of the kingdom of God. We've all got a responsibility. The church is not a luxury cruise liner that Phil wonderfully keeps saying. It's a lifeboat. And we're all the crew on that lifeboat, on a rescue mission to the world. And I wonder, have you ever seen on a lifeboat a member of the crew not taking part in the mission? No, they're all there. We've got a responsibility. But you see, priests in the Old Testament were also God's representatives to the people. And as priests today, Peter says, we are now Christ's representatives to the world. Do you know, as you walk into school tomorrow morning, you are God's priest to your school. You're God's representative to your school. How amazing is that? God sent you on a mission to that place. And as well as being a representative in the Old Testament, priests were also the ones that offered sacrifices, bulls, lambs, goats. And we know that from the New Testament that Jesus, he's the ultimate sacrifice. That's what we're going to be remembering. And so what does Peter mean in verse 5 when he says offering spiritual sacrifices? Well, do you know Romans 12 verse 1 tells us It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. The only sacrifice required now is ourselves. And this isn't a sacrifice where we harm ourselves. This is a spiritual sacrifice, a living sacrifice where we choose to give everything over to God. It's saying to God, you're in charge. You're in charge of my time, my money, my gifts and my talents. It's what we heard this morning. And we offer and we lay them before Jesus' feet every day. And we say, Lord, use them. Lord, use them. They belong to you. Those are the sacrifices that we as his people offer. But, you know, we need to bear in mind in all of this, who Peter's first readers were. They were Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor, that's modern-day Turkey now. And they're going through a tough time. They're being persecuted for following Jesus. And this group of Christians, which had probably been made up of Jews and Gentiles, do you know, they would have been in their Bible studies looking through the Old Testament, seeing all of God's promises about the temple and about Jerusalem. How God is, how is God is going to use Jerusalem as his city. That is the city that he is going to choose. And at the heart of his city, the temple is going to be at the heart of his plans and purposes for the world. And you know, these dispersed Christians living thousands of miles away could be tempted to look at everything going on in Jerusalem and think that they're missing out. They're away from all of the action. They're going through hardships and trials, living outside of God's city, away from God's temple. But Peter writes to these Christians, looking like they're missing out on everything, telling them, you are God's temple that God is building. 
So Peter's saying to these dispersed, remote followers of Jesus, you are God's temple. You're not missing out on anything. You are the beating heart of God's plan, of God's purpose, of God's presence in this world. You are the ultimate insiders. And we were thinking at the start about how as Christians today, it can seem like we're not at the heart of anything. We feel like we miss out on so much. But how could we miss out on anything when God says, as his church, his priests, you're at the center of all that God is doing? As his church, as we're offering our spiritual sacrifices day after day, we are involving ourselves in God's eternal plans and purposes. We're at the heart of what the universe is pushing and pulling towards. Yes, yeah, you live as Christ as your ki- if you live as Christ as your king, you, you miss out on doing relationships your own way. You miss out on doing life like so many others live. But how does that even compare to being right at the heart of the eternal plans and purposes of God? You see, we need to realize that what we try to compare and contrast with following Jesus is a pencil factory in comparison. Sure, everyone and all of our friends get excited about it, But at the end of the day, it's a pencil factory in comparison. Peter says, Christian, you're not missing out on anything. You're at the heart of everything. And so therefore, give everything you have to be a part of what God is doing in the world. You're the ultimate insider. And secondly... This evening, we see the ultimate outsider. The ultimate outsider. And that's from verses 6 to 8. Now we all know that the most important part of a building is the foundation on which it's built on. That's why if you've ever had a competition uh, to try and build the highest Jenga tower, and you see the person over on the other table and they're just trying to go for height one on top of the other and you're thinking, what a rookie, that's going to fall down in no time. There's no foundation. It's all about the cross of the Jenga. That gives it the support. You work your way up from the bottom and that's how you win a Jenga tower competition. There you go, we've learned something this evening. But we know that the foundation is the most important thing. And Peter has been talking about the church in terms of a building. But now Peter shows us what the church is built upon. Let's read from verse 6. It says, For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. During this next section... Peter quotes from three Old Testament passages, this one being from Isaiah 28. And in that chapter, God is warning his people that the ancient nation of Assyria is going to come and judge God's people for rejecting God's word. But in the middle of that passage, it has this verse that Peter quotes, and it looks forward to Jesus. And Peter shows us how Jesus 
is the precious chosen cornerstone of God. That if someone trusts in him, they will never be put to shame. You know, some of you might know the piece of ancient graffiti found in Rome. And it depicts a man bowing down to someone being crucified with the head of a donkey. And the person who drew this image inscribed underneath, Alex Menos worships his God. It's an example of how during the early church, Christians were mocked and maligned for following a king that had been executed as a public criminal. It's an example of what we see in verse 7 and 8 of our passage this evening. Now to you who believe this stone is precious... But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. You see, we know that Jesus is not universally loved by everyone. Jesus is rejected by so many people. And the message of the gospel can be viewed by some as offensive and shameful. And Paul echoes this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23 and 24. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. To us, the message of Jesus, crucified and risen, it shows the power, it shows the wisdom of God, but to the world it looks so foolish. Our hope in someone who died as a criminal on a cross. So many, like the person drawing that graffiti, look at Alex Menos and go, what an idiot. The message about Jesus is a stumbling block. It's something that has been rejected by so many. And you know, it says at the end of our passage in verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the message. That's choosing not to believe the gospel message of Jesus. And then it says, which is what they were destined to do. Now maybe you heard that read out at the start and you felt a bit confused maybe even a bit uncomfortable at what this seems to be saying. And you know, it's so important as we open up God's word every week that it's God's word that shapes our understanding of who God is and not our own preferences and desires. And it's important for us to know that it's Peter's hope in this letter and his next letter that the non-Christian would always turn, would always turn And trust in Christ. But what we have here in verse 8 is the other side of the coin to what we see right the way through this letter. You see, Peter states throughout this letter this theme of Christians being ones chosen by God. Says that in verse chapter 1, verse 1. Peter calls Christians elect exiles. Elect meaning chosen. And in our passage next week, in verse 9, it says, you are a chosen people. 
In Ephesians 1 verse 4, Paul says, He chose us before the creation of the world. The Bible seems clear that Christians have been chosen and it is certainly not because of our own goodness. It is certainly not because of our own efforts. It is simply by the mercy and grace of God. And so if God is sovereign over choosing people for salvation, then the same must be true of what we see here in verse 8. And we might then have questions about how fair all of this is. But you know, the truth is is that every one of us is unworthy of God's grace. There is no one deserving of God's love. And so when God's judgment comes, it won't be unfair. It won't be unjust. There will be no one on the day of judgment that wanted to be saved but was prevented. Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will never turn away. But you know, all of us are born with hearts set against this God of creation. None of us from our own desire want to believe in the gospel message. It comes from a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts. God's justice will never be unjust. It can never be. But, you know, we cannot deny that this shows us God's sovereignty in choosing some and not others. And I appreciate that this is a hard and it is a hotly debated topic in Scripture. And if you want to talk more afterwards, I'd be more than happy to have a conversation with you. And if you haven't trusted Jesus this evening, then as Phil said this morning, we don't believe you're here by accident. And this is God's call to you this evening, to turn and to trust in Jesus. But you see, Peter wants this to be an encouragement to Christians he's writing to. God's in control. That's what it means. And just as Jesus was destined to be the ultimate outsider, he was rejected by all those around him. The story is now no different for his people. And just as Christ committed himself to his father, knowing that his father is in control, when he says, not my will, but yours be done, when he knowing that the hearts of all those that were crucifying him existed in the hands of his father, so, Peter says, our father in heaven is in control. He's sovereign over every heart. And yet we know that Christ is risen. And because we know that, as it says in our passage, the one who trusts in him, the one who trusts in Jesus, will never be put to shame. Whilst Peter's readers, whilst Alex Menos, the Christian in Rome, would have experienced shame probably the duration of their lives for following Jesus, Peter says, when Christ comes... And all those who have endured and trusted in him, they will not be put to shame then. You know that ancient piece of graffiti, uh, mocking Alex Menos, putting his hope in Jesus. You know, I found out this week that there is another side to that artwork. Obviously, someone walking past saw it and decided to write next to it, 
Alex Menos Fidelis. Alex Menos is faithful. You see, in the sight of humans, the gospel and those who place their trust in the living stone, Jesus Christ, they look shameful. It looks stupid. As you go into school tomorrow, you might feel like the Alex Menos walking down the corridors. But you know, in the sight of God, the one who trusts in Christ is the one that is faithful, is the one that will never be put to shame. When Christ brings the final curtain on the world and every eye sees him in incomprehensible glory, Alex Menos and all those like him will be honoured and not put to shame. And so this evening, do you feel like you're missing out? Do you feel a subtle bit of regret for following Christ? Well, know from tonight that everything else in this world, when compared to Christ, is a pencil factory. It's a, pen- it's a pencil factory. Don't listen to the voices that say freedom and joy is found outside of Christ. Don't listen to the voices that view Jesus as someone who robs enjoyment because Peter tells us that as his people were at the very centre of what God is doing in this world. And I can live with the shame now. I can live with the shame of following Christ because I know that when eternity comes, Christ's people will never be put to shame. And those who have rejected Those who have mocked Christ and his followers will. Because how could we miss out? (laughs) How could we miss out when we have eternity to look forward to? It just doesn't compare.